The scripture reading for today's message comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Now, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for this, your church, for these, your people. We pray, O oh God, that you open our hearts and minds to receive your word and that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would search us in those deepest parts of our lives, of our hearts, the places where we let no one know about. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our church has an important mission. Our church was called into existence to witness to the good news of God's love that was shown to us in Jesus Christ. Our church exists to share God's love, to bring people into fellowship in which God's love is shared, and to help people grow into followers of Jesus Christ. There are people, perhaps many people, within the reach of, of this church who are hungry for the love of God that you and I are given to share. Our church has been commissioned to teach the way of love that is the hope of the world. Most of the people of the world probably don't realize how urgently that they need the way of love. But the way is great and it's urgent. The reason, the reason being a lot of times we construct obstacles in, in our lives. And part of the time, part of the time, 
they're our own fault. And let me give you uh, an illustration of that. Things like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to be in church or to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Or I, or I could never be forgiven. Let me remind the church this morning that the scriptures are very, very clear about that. There's one unforgivable sin. And that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Or I don't know enough. I have never read the Bible. Or they talk about things that I know absolutely nothing about. Friends, that's why we're here. We're here to help. We're here to encourage. We're here to be united with the same purpose of mind. To help folks. This church has a very important mission. Our church's mission is the most important thing going on in our community and in our world today. That being the case, does it make sense that we should organize the whole life of our church around the accomplishment of that mission? And does it make sense that we should be careful not to let anything go on in this local congregation that would hinder, that would hinder the accomplishment of that mission. We're never to put obstacles in the way of other people. Never, never. Especially the cross. For you see, as Arden read the scriptures, to the world the preaching of the cross is foolishness. We need to understand that as Christian people. But to those of us who are being saved, being saved, it is the power of God. Can you think of anything that goes on in this church that would appear to contradict the good news of God's love that we've been called to share? Can you think of anything that goes on in the church that would turn people away rather than drawing them into the love of a new life? That, by the way, we're supposed to be offering them. Can you think of anything that, that's going on today in this local congregation that's keeping people from coming to church? That's hindering their walk with Christ. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. He wrote it in part because he had heard that there were things going on in the church that contradicted the gospel. They were a hindrance to the mission of the church. In his letters, he tried to bring those things to the surface and to set them in order and context of the Christian faith. So that the, the Christians there at Corinth, so that the people that were going to church there, would know what to do about them. The things that Paul said to the Corinthians can help us get things in proper perspective today too. For you see, Paul loved the church enough that he told them the truth. Sometimes we have a problem with that in the church today. He had heard that there were divisions in the church. And that there were people that were quarreling. With one another. I know that doesn't go on here. But in the church of Corinth it did. 
It's funnier than that. <laughs> they were quarreling with one another. Rather than being united in the same mind and purpose. This is a surefire way, my dear friends, to turn people away. That's an obstacle. Saying a negative word out in your community. This little community where we live. Talking about other people. You know, that, go that gossip thing. And not being united with the same mind and purpose as in Christ Jesus. That turns people away. Makes no difference. I'm not talking about folks you go in church with. I'm talking about out in, out in the community. To get caught up in that. When folks ask you, when people ask you, you go to First United Methodist Church, don't you? Yeah. And they say this, what's your purpose? How do you answer? What's your purpose? What is the purpose of us even being here? Paul told them what the problem was. For you see, Paul grew up in a cosmopolitan, uh, uh, cosmopolitan uh, city of Tarsus. He rubbed elbows with all kinds of people. Representing cultures from all over the world. He was a Roman citizen. He spoke, spoke fluent Hebrew and Greek. He was a Jewish Pharisee. He had studied at the feet of Gamil. Which meant that he had been exposed to the best. To the best in Jewish tradition. And he took all this very seriously. He did. He knew a great deal. There was much that he could have told the church at Corinth. Much indeed. But he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul wanted to remove and not obstruct any obstacle that would keep anyone from coming to Christ. He wanted to remove Every obstacle. He didn't want to get in the way of people coming to Christ. And that's what we do, friends, when we're divided. When we backbite. When we talk about one another. When we don't volunteer for ministry. And then wonder why the church is the way it is. Isn't it amazing? Of all the things that Paul knew, of all the things he had experienced, all the information he had amassed, everything else paled in insignificance when compared to the good news of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion and resurrection. Paul reminds me of what uh, we had a bishop once. Her name was uh, Bishop Huey. She always said, keep the main thing the main thing. Paul would agree with that. And for him, the main thing was the story of Jesus. What's our main thing? What's our, what, what, in this local congregation, what's our main thing? If it isn't Jesus, we need, to, we need to back up and look and see what we're doing. If we're not shaping and molding in every ministry and every person that comes to this church. In the name of Jesus. Then we should be. 
Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection for 20 centuries, the church has agreed with him. The crucifixion and resurrection is at the heart of the matter, no, no doubt about it. And when the four gospel writers wrote their story, they spent more time telling about that than they did anything else. Why? They wanted us to get it. They wanted us to understand it. To make sure that we heard the story and that we got it straight. They wanted no obstacle being in the way. They went straight to the point to point people to Jesus. When the early church preached, inevitably, they told that story. It's always been true. The main thing about the Christian gospel has been what God is doing in and through Jesus and the crucifixion and resurrection. That's the main thing. Throughout the gospels, there are events through which God announced Jesus. And who he is. You remember at his baptism. The dove. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Came down and saying. You know this is my son the beloved. In whom I am well pleased. And then in the transfiguration. When the cloud came over. Uh, uh, Peter James and John. And, and they were afraid. And, and the divine voice said. This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. But all such events. The resurrection. Is a supreme act. For all those able to see with the eyes of faith, there was no longer any doubt. Jesus is God's son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And all these things we see at work in Jesus' life. Love, truth, righteousness. All these things are authenticated. On Friday, the day of the crucifixion, those things seem, things seem so weak. This week in our, our soapy readings, in, in Luke's gospel, as I read that, I thought how, how weak he must have seemed to those around him. How vulnerable had he become. If Jesus had died and remained dead, Jesus and all that he stood for would have been repudiated and defeated by all the other powers of the world. And if we had even heard about him, which is doubtful, we would have said, well, it would have been nice if his life had worked out. What a beautiful dream. But it just won't work, you see, in our kind of world, in our society where we're at now. But that's not where the story ended. Jesus did not die and remain dead. On that first Easter morning, Jesus got up from death and walked back into life. And we see from that this love and, and, and truth and righteousness. All the beautiful things that we see in Jesus. Those things are not weak that we thought last Friday that they were. They're not weak. They're not vulnerable as we thought last Friday. In reality, they are powerful. And they're going to win. You can nail them to a tree. You can wrap them in grave clothes. You can seal them in a tomb but you can be sure of one thing. They're going to rise again. Because they are of God. Not only beautiful and noble. But also powerful. In the resurrection. It is as if we're reading the last chapter in a, in a book. We know how it's going to turn out. We're on this side of the cross. And what we see is this. That no matter what today's newspapers and their headlines may say, 
The last word is never spoken until it's spoken by the Lord. The last word is not spoken until it is spoken by the Lord. Because friends, whether you like it, whether I like it or not, this is God's world. And he will not be defeated here. You'll hear what I'm saying to you? He will not be defeated here. In that eternal struggle of love and hate, of good and evil, of truth and falsehood, make no uh, mistake about it. God will win. God will win. And all the faithful will win with him. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all of the faithful, going to win with the Lord. We see that in the resurrection. What you and I are to be doing is to make sure we're not putting an obstacle in somebody else's way. For the, the disciples, the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is where it all came together. For all the time they were together, Jesus had been teaching them, trying to help them understand, taking away every obstacle that he could. And the, the main obstacle for, for them was unbelief. But early on, they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. Even at the crucifixion, y'all remember how they ran? They ran away in fear and trembling. Y'all remember that? They were hiding behind locked doors. As John reminds us. Shivering in the dark. No faith, no hope, no joy. Then God reached out. And turned the sorrow of the crucifixion. Into, into the joy of the resurrection. And his disciples were never the same again. Have you met the risen Christ? Is your life different than what it used to be? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to have his way in your life? You see, they came out of their hiding places, the disciples. And with supreme courage and joy, again and again, they told the story of the resurrection. There's no doubt that the resurrection is a pivotal point. It was the resurrection that made the disciples new men in Christ. Men of depth, men of conviction, men of courage. And gave them the power, as the book of Acts says, gave them power to turn the world upside down. Wow. Wow. We can't talk about the resurrection without talking about the crucifixion, however. Easter would be a very hollow vic uh, victory. We can't experience the ultimate joy of Easter unless we first experience the, the depth of sorrow of Jesus' death. And to get in touch with reality, for it could have all ended on Friday, but it didn't. It's no accident that the cross is a symbol of our faith. Wrapped up in that symbol is a story of a God so powerful that he's 
able to take the instrument of shame, of suffering, of sorrow, of death, and with his powerful hands turn it into a source of love and hope and joy. All the pages of sacred scripture come together in a dramatic focus at the cross. There's nowhere else in all the Bible that we see the great heart of God. Look at it. Let it take hold of you in the deep places in your heart, in your life. There's something else there. There's something about this cross, something about this man. For 2,000 years, we've been trying to express it, and our words are not adequate. There are no words to express it. We cannot fully understand it. Somehow God himself meets us at the cross. Forgives us. Claims us as his own. And whenever we receive that experience in faith. And embrace it. We're never again the same. Never again the same. The older I get, the more that I understand something. And I don't know why that it took me this long to see it. But what I think about the heart of the cross's power comes to me. I, I don't know if, it, if it's clear today or if, I, if I've changed my mind a little bit about it or if it's just a, a part of growing in the faith. I don't, I don't know. But I have come to believe that the most redemptive power in the world is the power of suffering love. Love that loves enough to suffer on behalf of the one who is loved. I believe that the willingness to suffer is the epitome of love. That kind of love is redemptive. It has the power to make us new. I have learned in my experience that punishment is not redemptive. Threat is not redemptive. Coercive arm twisting is not redemptive. You may change behavior by using those methods. But you do not change people from the inside out. By using them. You just don't. What is redemptive is the love that loves enough to suffer. On, on behalf of one who is loved. That can touch us in the deep places of our lives. And make us new. Do you really want to know who loves you? Don't just listen to the words about love. It's easy to say I love you. And don't just look at loving actions when those actions are easy or convenient or inexpensive. No, any love worth the name has to be costly. And that's what I believe the one who really loves you and me is the one that loves us enough to be willing to suffer for us. That's real love. The scripture says, greater love has no one, has no man than this, than to lay down his life. Now, that's something new. If you've been in the Old Testament, we see a, a God that's vulnerable. A God who loves us enough to suffer. That's new, that's powerful, and that's redemptive. But that's what we experience at the cross. Dr. Fred Craddock expresses it. A whole lot better than what I ever could to you. Dr. Craddock is one of the greatest preachers 
that ever lived, I think. He, bro- he wrote about redemptive love. And since I like the way that he said it, I'm going to give him the last word this morning. He wrote, Sometimes a child falls down and skins his elbow or knee and runs crying to his mama. The mother picks the child up, and it's the oldest story in the world. Let me kiss it and make it well. Y'all ever said that? As if the mother has magic, saliva or something. She picks up the child, kisses the skin place, holds the child in her lap, and all is well. Did her kiss make it well? No, no. It was that 10 minutes in her lap. Just sit in the lap of love. See her mother crying. Mother, why are you crying? I'm the one that hurt my elbow. Because you hurt. The mother says, because you hurt, I hurt. That does more for children than all the bandages and all the medicine in the world. Just sitting on the lap. What is the cross? Can I say it this way? It is to sit for a few minutes on the lap of God who hurts because you hurt. Do you understand? The most powerful redemptive force in the world is that love and that love's enough to suffer. That's what the cross is all about. It's an expression of that love which is always at the great heart of God. And that's the love at the center of our faith. The praise team comes this morning. Paul says, that's what I have to preach. That's what I have to preach. Making sure that there's no obstacle, making sure I put none in anyone's way. But that's what I have to preach. Of all the things that I know, that's the main thing. I claim to know nothing among you except, except, Jesus Christ and him crucified. How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? Have you constructed obstacles of your own making that are keeping you from telling the Lord, here I am. I know my life. You know my life. Forgive me. I want to live my life for you. Or or maybe or maybe that a slip of the tongue or the way that we go about treating our families our neighbors people we just don't like but talking about them and holding them in contempt. Friends, that's putting an obstacle in somebody's way. This chancel rail is open this morning. The good news is you can start 
anew. I know because a long time ago I did. God turns no one away who seeks his forgiveness and truly repents. Again, this chancel area is open. I ask you to come and pray. Let us stand and sing.